Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Between the DeBrinket trade talk and the wildfires, Canada's just contributing to the news for everyone lately. You guys made it through the uh, haze today to get here? Yep, just barely. Saw Brad walking through it. I was like, is that one of those like uh, garden gnomes come to life? It's one of those horror <laughs> movies. <laughs> kind of feel like it, honestly. Yeah. I could smell it more yesterday. Like yesterday when I opened my window in my office, it smelled kind of like a sauna. I was like, oh, this is not that bad. <laughs> It smelled like a campfire where someone threw some plastic in it. Oh, wow. Delightful. Yeah. Mine w- mine was just a campfire. This morning I opened it up. I went, hmm. So it smells like I left my smoker on, uh, on all night and I, I don't have a smoker. I was so. going to say, you have a smoker and it would never. <laughs> no, we'd be way, we'd have way more fun here if I had yeah. one. We actually should get one. Podcast smoker. That's just good bonus content. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. The Patreon exclusive is just Evan chewing. <laughs> <laughs> please no start the ASMR uh, content no, channel no, yeah, no. <laughs> that, that's the day I quit the show pull a reverse Steve Dangle <laughs> I'm going zero time for the Winged Wheel Podcast <laughs> Network <laughs> folks welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey the NHL draft the world of the NHL and lots more I'm one of your hosts Ryan Hanna I'm Brad Crisco and I'm Evan on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we'll take a look back at some uh, relevant dates uh, in Red Wings history that have uh, gone by or are today. Uh, and we're also going to continue our uh, prospect profile series with a uh, prospect that isn't at the top of a lot of people's lists, but uh, a name who's swirling around and certainly fits the Steve Eisenman bill. Uh, we're joined by a good friend of the show, uh, Prashanth Iyer, who's also host of Expected by Whom, our uh, spinoff show. Uh, hosted by, again, Prashanth and Sean Shapiro. Uh, and then we're going to be back with you to talk NHL news. The big trade that happened wherein Danny Breer made a really good impression as a new GM. Uh, and then we'll also take a look at the Debrinket noise before getting into overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know that this podcast is supported almost completely by our Patreon supporters. Uh, Patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show, go above and beyond. Uh, what it helps us do is, no, not buy you know, an official podcast smoker, but yes, it helps us uh, support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, uh, run a winged wheel podcast nights and days at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. That all comes out of our pocket, and it's uh, uh, obviously a worthwhile uh, effort as it raises even more support for the foundation. The continued uh, running production growth improvement of this show and the expansion of the winged wheel podcast kind of content universe expected by whom is a direct example of that. You get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord, uh, as well as our bonus episodes, which record right after these main ones, which uh, have been called way more fun, and oh my god, you guys are normal people. And uh, you also are automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Uh, For example, this past season, we gave away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game, the vast majority going to our Patreon supporters. So again, that's patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. Support with as much or as little as you'd like. Every single bit uh, really helps. Thank you so much to our patrons. On this day, June 7th, 1997, Darren McCarty scored one of, if not the most prolific goals in Stanley Cup final history. Just absolutely out-of-body experience for Darren McCarty, who undressed Yanni Ninema, went around Ron Hextall, scored the cup-winning goal as the Red Wings broke a uh, 42-year drought, I believe it was, 
and brought home the Stanley Cup in 1997, sweeping the Philadelphia Flyers for nothing. It was a different time back then. It was a happier time. You know any comments I saw today saying these were the real Red Wings? Like, these are the Red Wings I remember. This was, like, the obviously dynasty era. And that they're all objectively true. I know it's a, a low-hanging fruit to say, but it really just did feel... It feels like a century ago. It was only 10 years ago. Yeah, right? <laughs> don't, don't do the math backwards, folks. Just take our word for it. Yeah, 1990's been 10 years ago now for 23 years. That's kind of how it feels. Yeah. But already we are at... What is that? 26 oh my god 26 years that's scary that's terrifying but uh, that was a start obviously the year after was uh the uh, back-to-back cup victory and even i mean a few days later than that was the um, uh, tragedy struck the red wings but let's look at june 4th which we uh, actually didn't talk about last episode because of who we are as people uh, but june 4th 2008 detroit's last stanley cup win for now uh, most recent Stanley Cup win, I'll call it, 15 years ago now when they hung on against the Pittsburgh Penguins. <sighs> that team should have won more, man. Many more. I loved that cup run. 02 is still like the favorite, my favorite cup run, but 08 was so much fun. I just still wish they would have done it in 09. I remember I was in England at the time, and that was somewhat before social media. Well, definitely, but well, MySpace, but that doesn't really count. No. Um, and I remember reading the newspaper in London and it was all soccer, football, whatever you want to call it. And, um, in this tiny, like two by two section in the newspaper said, and the Detroit Red Wings beat Pittsburgh Penguins to win the Stanley Cup. I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> it wasn't on the front uh, of the sports section. Believe was it? it or not, it was not. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was. I was like, oh no, God. Just in the smallest corner. If you, if you blinked, you would have missed it. Which is so funny because the UK has such a strong and growing contingent of hockey fans, but yeah, it's different, you know. Different time, I guess. Oh, wait, yeah. Brad, you turned 55 that year, I believe it was? About that, yeah. Yeah. 15 years since the last cup. Imagine saying that to Red Wings fans back then, that 15 years later, they, they still wouldn't have another cup. 14 years since a cup final. Longest drought in our lifetime. Woof, jeez. We really have it tough. So now we're transitioning into the prospect profile. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, believe it or not, we are. Yeah, reminiscing is not so, uh, it's fun, but not so fun. Uh, In the interest of time, we're going to keep doing these uh, as as they come up. Obviously, uh, tis the season for that. But uh, why don't we jump over to something a little bit more present, the 2023 NHL draft. And we're going to start with a prospect profile today. None other than Samuel Honzek, the towering 6'3", 6'4". I mean, towering relative to other Red Wings, not really. But very big uh, 6'3", 6'4", winger. Uh, Some have him in Detroit's, you know, 17-ish pick range. Some have him in Detroit's 9-ish pick range. He's been called a prototypical Red Wings pick. Uh, Highly athletic player. uh, You know, big body, late birthday, November 12th birthday. So... Sam Honzek is a little divisive. Does the left winger factor into your mind uh, for a player you'd like to see the Red Wings select? And who is he as a prospect? Honzek's one of those players that comes up every year where what you think of him on draft day specifically is going to rely really heavily on what your draft philosophy is. Because 
I don't know many people who could watch Samuel Hanzik as a player and not like him. He's a big guy, skates well, uh, good hands, good instincts, good reads. Uh, 200-foot player, competes his ass off. Is the upside there, though? You know, a 200-foot giant in junior does not always translate to the NHL in a prolific role. A guy like Hanzik, who has a very refined um, game with decent speed and decent hands at his size, is almost certainly going to be an NHLer. You know, that low floor discussion. Most people have him pegged as a middle six forward, and I think that's a really good assessment. I, I think the tools are there for him to, you know, be a regular, play almost any situation and do it half decent. So, you know, you, you can appreciate a guy who, who can do what he does at his size. I would not pick him in my top 20. You can get middle six guys in other places. You can pluck middle six guys out of the second round. You can pluck middle six guys in, you know, trades that don't cost that much. You can pluck middle six guys in free agency. You know, Barry, I'll circle back to that quote from Barry Trotz a couple of weeks ago. He's like, I, I don't want, you know, a third line guy and a second pair of D. I can go find those. Find me someone who's going to pull me out of, pull the fans out of their seats. And that's not Samuel Hanzik. You can, you can really, really appreciate the player, but not like the pick where the Red Wings are picking. And I think that's where I'm at. You know, a lot of what my concern with Hanzik was a lot of my concern with what my concerns were with Rasmussen, who I had ranked in like the early 20s in his draft year. And almost all of them came to fruition. And Rasmussen has turned himself into a really good third liner, which is what I think is likely to happen to Hanzik. Which, again, is great for a junior hockey player and a projection, but not at, but for me, not at pick nine and not at pick 17. I agree with you that uh, Hanzek has a lot to like, and you can't knock him as a player. I, I, he really screams, uh, this guy is going to be an everyday, you know, middle-of-the-lineup player. I, I have the same kind of feel as you, Brad, and the same questions about what his ceiling actually is. We've talked about this ad nauseum with every profile we've done is, you can't just drum up a Connor Bedard type at pick nine, so that's not what we're trying to say, but there is a lot of upside to be had at that pick in different flavors. You can go for a Gabe Pro type. You can go for an Oliver, Oliver Moore type. You can go for a Ryan Leonard type. You can go for an Axel Sandine Pelica type. Like, there's a lot of different ways you can reach for upside. It doesn't have to be the guy, you know, uh, prototypical, tiny player, smaller than Brad even, highly skilled, but, you know, is the ultimate boomer bust. That's not what you have to do. Hanzik for me is, yeah, I, I just don't know that he has the same upside as those other guys, but you know, he's going to continue to thrive as a, as a, uh, a prospect. I think he'll make the league and be an impactful player provided that his development path goes well, which for big guys, uh, late birthdays, sometimes that masks a little bit, like they're afforded a little bit more talent than they actually have by all rights. He's going to fill out even more and get even stronger. So that's going to work to his advantage. I wouldn't hate the pick at 17. I wouldn't love it. It wouldn't be my favorite one, depending on how that draft board falls. But let's say things went really unfavorably for the players that we'd like for Detroit at 17. I wouldn't hate taking him at 17 or even trading back and taking him in the 20s. Like that, that would be perfectly fine by me. But for pick nine, you know, not the same frame, but at that point, why not take Nate Danielson, who I think has more upside and uh, is a center, is a center and has a positionality. 
for me, Hanzek in a weaker draft, I could absolutely see going way higher and you'd be very, very happy with the pick. But this isn't the draft in my mind to to do so with a top 10 pick. That said, he does fit the bill for what the Red Wings really like in a prospect. Which is? Big, athletic, can move, responsible both ends. Is going to get stronger. Is he going to score 40 goals? Well... Do the, every team likes that kind of prospect, but the Red Wings don't have much of that, so they don't really have a, a propensity for taking them, or at least not yet. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I hate to sit. I hate to sit here and sort of you know trash on a kid, but he's going to play in the NHL. Like he's got the frame that will project well to the NHL. Like he's the type of guy you could draft, and he could end up being on your fourth line forever. And you're like, okay, we got a thousand games out of this kid. Um, it, like. There's nothing to not, there's nothing I don't not like about him, you know, like he's got decent hands. He can skate decently. He's, he's good in all, in all three zones. Like, but there's just nothing to his game where I'm like, this guy could be a game breaker. And I see that with lots of other guys projected in the top, I'll, I'll say in the top 20 for the most part. So you know, it's nothing against him. It's uh, it's that classic, you know, floor versus home run swing kind of thing. And he's just d- doesn't get me going. I mean, you can apply this. The one way I've kind of looked at situations like this in the draft, and this will always apply to a top 10 pick for me. And in this particular draft, it, we should probably apply it to pick 17 as well as, as well as you look at the player and you go, what has to happen for that player to be a top line player? You know, I look at, and you can look at different players and you can see different ways. Okay, what has to happen for Oliver Moore to be a top line player? Okay, well, if he can like refine his game in the same way Dylan Larkin has, he can absolutely end up being that guy because we saw Dylan Larkin do it. How, what would Ryan Leonard have to do? Okay, well, he's, you can see the physicality, the grit, and the shot that can get him there. You talk about Gabe Pro, and you're like, yeah, if he can just translate his skill up level, he absolutely has top line. Either way, you get the point I'm making. It's like, what what can that player turn themselves into with what they have to become a top-line player? I don't see that with Hanzik. He would need to, ref- like, he's got everything that, he's like that jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Like, he's really good at a lot of things, but, like, how do you refine everything to take yourself to the, like, superstar potential? Well, well what it comes down to is if your answer for what has to happen for a player to become a top-line or a top-pair guy if your answer is he has to play with good line mates or he has to develop a skill that he doesn't really have, like, you know, if Samuel Hansik all of a sudden started stick handling like Tage Thompson. Okay. But if you have to fundamentally change something about them, it's not the right pick there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we don't have to, f- Leonard, um, more, uh, you know, Dvorsky, we don't have to. F- fundamentally change who they are as players to see them projecting into a top line role. A lot has to go right in their development because they still need to improve upon this base that they have, but you can see the base that can build into that player. And if they end up settling anywhere less than that, like a second line or a third liner, you still have a valuable NHLer. And with Hanzik, like I said, I see the valuable NHLer, but I don't see that, that skill set, that tool, that path to be a top line player, unless he develops something he doesn't already have. Or he just gets, you know, he is the, you know, Darren Helm of the Detroit Red Wings who just gets thrown bet- beside Larkin and Raymond when no one else is available. And you just made a new cult. <laughs> you no, know, and this is all different, uh, a different package conversation saying 
yeah, we're looking for top end attributes on this team. And if that comes at the cost of defense uh, on a player who can score a lot or, uh, you know, skating, but he moves really well in the offensive zone and thinks and dishes the puck out real well, then that's fine. But Detroit has, I don't want to say a lot of guys who are really well-rounded. They still finished closer to the bottom of the league than anyone would have liked last season. But as you said, Evan, they're not really looking for middle of the lineup players. We can't we can't be yelling about how the Red Wings don't have any superstar talent and then advocate for drafting Hanzik. I think I think if this was the Toronto Maple Leafs, sure, this would be a perfect kind of player. Get him in on an ELC, be a big body, play responsible two way hockey like that kind of team could absolutely use a Hanzik type. But yeah, the the Barry Trotz quote is is sticking out in my head, Brad. I agree. You know, you can find the kind of impact that you would get hypothetically from a Hansik. There's no, we could be completely wrong about a ceiling. And I think with what Detroit needs right now, every one of these profiles boils down to, does this address one of Detroit's major needs? And they are important needs. And for me, Hansik doesn't quite do it. The funny part about what you said, which is accurate, by the way, um, but that part that makes me laugh is you use Hansik. Like, could the Leafs use like a third line guy like Hansik right now and on an ELC to be even better? Absolutely, a thousand percent. But you know why the Leafs are where they are? They draft skill. They don't draft Samuel Hansiks anymore. They don't draft draft the Frederick Gauthiers anymore. You know, Nylander was like an eighth overall pick. Marner was a fourth overall pick. Riley was a fifth overall pick. They swung for the high ceiling guys when they had those premium picks and they've hit on most of them, and that's why they are where they are. Yeah. All right, well, that's Samuel Honzik. I know it's a little bit of a, a, a downer profile, so not to knock the guy, like Evan said. That's why I start off by saying how much I like his game. Oh, yeah, he's a perfectly, <laughs> he'll, be a, he'll be a really good prospect. And, you know, sometimes you have that that random big body who turns out to be a unicorn, and that, that could be him. But as of right now, I think with his peers around him, the consensus, at least at this table, is good player, maybe not for Detroit with their top. Okay, we're going to continue the draft discussion, but this uh, we're going to loop in our good friend Prashanth Iyer for this. Uh, we're going to talk draft, Red Wings free agency, uh, expected by whom, and quite a bit more. So Prashanth Iyer, uh, good friend of the show, resident analytics expert, host of uh, Expected by Whom, an all-around great guy. Enjoy this interview, and we'll be back uh, on the other side. Prashanth, is this your first guest spot since starting Expected by Whom? It must be. You know, I I think it is. It's uh yeah, yeah, this is the first time on since expected by whom started. It's a lot different now. I don't have to give you the whole rundown, you know, the drill. This is as much your scene as it is mine. This is way more convenient for me. I mean, honestly, I'm a little disappointed I don't have the the button to start the recording and stop the recording right here in front of me. It's actually a little it took a little bit to get used to uh you know getting back to this side of things yeah and you also have lost your uh your title as friend of the podcast i don't think we can afford that to you anymore so this is really a lose-lose for you i mean to be honest you're already like so much in the negative with the money that you owe me for this stuff so you know i'll keep i'll keep the title friend of the podcast as uh as I tell you all the time, we pay your son and he chooses whether to dole it out to you. <laughs> Folks, uh, you're listening to uh, Prashanth Iyer, good friend of the show, host of Expected by Whom, uh, our resident hockey analytics guru and all around great guy. Prashanth, how's it been going, man? 
Another day in paradise. Um, I got away without having to watch 30 minutes of Elmo this morning, so I, I will call this a, an excellent day for me. We should all be so lucky. So what we're going to chat about today is uh, uh, the draft, your draft stock app that you put out, which is an excellent tool. Uh, the Red Wings for agency, uh, Detroit overall. Uh, but before that, um, f- a lot of the listeners will have listened to Expected by Whom, uh, a new show that was launched uh, by us, hosted by uh, yourself and Sean Shapiro. Um, but for those who haven't, why don't you run us through what Expected by Whom is as a show and uh, some of the excellent guests that you've had on, actually, the most recent one being uh, phenomenal. Yeah, you know, when uh, when I was thinking about getting back into the podcasting space, I think one of the, the areas that was sorely lacking and has been lacking, I think, for a long time is the ability to effectively communicate, you know, the importance of analytics, but not just this is why you have to listen to everything analytics says. It's also how does it tie into the human element of the game? Because hockey is a challenging sport to measure. It's There's so many moving parts. There's a lot of things that even right now we just don't have the data to capture. And so understanding how analytics sort of fits into the analysis of hockey with that human component, with the validation of, you know, what coaches see, what scouts see, what different individuals see. That's that was sort of a void missing. Um, and, and that's where, you know, I wanted to bring this show in. Uh, you graciously offered to produce it for us, uh, which was kind of my biggest sticking point about wanting to even get back into podcasting is, I really hate editing these things. And then Sean Shapiro was sort of a natural fit uh, to be able to not only speak to the analytics side of things, but also, you know, interject that human element from his years of covering the Texas Stars, the Dallas Stars, and then now covering the the Detroit Red Wings back here for his blog, Shapshot. So, you know, the, the whole goal of the podcast is to help make analytics more accessible, but also help understand the role it plays, what the limitations are where we sort of have to rely on that human element a little bit more. And so we brought on a variety of guests. So, you know, we're committed to having diverse guests on to to speak to their experiences, Uh, folks from different backgrounds. We've had, you know, an enlightening chat with uh, Carlene Markey, uh, who is an analyst with uh, the Boston Pride, as well as the Pittsburgh Pirates. And she was able to share her experience, uh, you know, with women's hockey analytics most recently, we just had Eric Tulski on. Most of you know the uh, assistant general manager for the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, been with the organization for more than 10 years, or for almost 10 years, I should say. And we got to hear him speak about just the importance of communication. Uh, you know, things that you probably don't think about is, hey, you make a scatter plot. Uh, people may not understand what, how to read a scatter plot, the people that you're talking to. And you, you really have to think about how you want to communicate and you know, he talked about some of his strategies of solving the problems and questions that the folks he was working with had, and that sort of built him that credibility to be able to to continue moving forward and kind of advancing new ideas. So really, it's it's been a fascinating show to do. We have a lot more uh, exciting individuals coming up and, you know, really excited to be a part of the Wingwell Podcast Network. Really well said, Prashant. And, and 
Uh, for those wondering, uh, as Prashant noted, is this all analytics? No, not by any means. Is this all just uh, a reproduction of Sean's really excellent writing on Shapshots? No, not by any means. Uh, they have, uh, they're two of the best brains in, in hockey media to kind of combine those two things. Sometimes it might lean one uh, more one way or the other, but really they are just telling the story of the entire league. Um, Red Wings fans uh, will be happy to hear that, you know, between uh, Prashanth, look at his background with the Lidstrom jersey, and he has his Red Wings t-shirt on. And Sean, uh, being uh, from the metro Detroit area, uh, they're, they're going to have a lot of knowledge about Detroit, so there's that connection there. But they're also going to be covering the entire NHL. Um, it really is, uh, the breadth is amazing that the show will cover. Um, we would never have thought to do this if it wasn't for their uh, talented minds and voices behind the mics uh, because that's a really challenging task. I wouldn't want want that task. So thank you, Prashant, for taking that mantle. But Expected by Whom, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it really is a fantastic show and uh, get in early. Okay, uh, Prashant, we were joking that um, we have way less time than we thought uh, before the NHL draft and it's kind of not even a joke anymore. We're, you know, three weeks away or whatever it is now. And things are heating up. So with Detroit at picks 9 and 17, I don't think we've had an opportunity to talk on air uh, about, you know, the big questions, which is, what do you do if you're Steve Eisenman? What do you do if you're Chris Draper? This is a team that has no lottery luck. And in my opinion, and, and this is just where I'm at, they can't keep hanging out in these lotteries year after year after year. So do you package the assets that you have to make a trade either up from 17 or up from nine? Are there players there that can make a massive, massive difference for Detroit in terms of the high-end talent that they're missing? With the, the pool that's there, what are your thoughts right now? Yeah, I mean, you you said it really well in that there's a lot of unknowns heading into the draft right now. I think if you look at what the public scouts have really been saying and kind of in their analysis and reports, probably the top five players of this draft are clearly defined and being Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Mitchkoff, and uh, Will Smith. And the expectation is probably four of those guys, Mitchkoff set aside, are going to be gone by the time the Wings make their first pick. I think that's almost a slam dunk guarantee. The interesting question about the trade-up comes into play. What do you do if Mitchkoff falls? Um, you know, you have the elite prospects draft guide comes out with their sort of hidden nugget in there being that there, there's a growing sense that Mitchkoff may fall out of the top 10. Then you get people like Danny Breer saying he's not going to be there at seven when the Flyers are picking. But ultimately, we don't really know. There's there's a lot of unknowns with with where he's going to go. And arguably, he's, you know, the, the second most talented prospect in this class behind Connor Bedard. And according to Corey Pronman of The Athletic, the prospect with the highest upside ahead of Bedard, uh, you know, from his recent writing. So if a guy like that starts to slip, I think you absolutely have to be thinking about trading up for him. You know, if you start seeing him get into that six and seven range, I think that's where you're, you're making your considerations. And oftentimes, trade-ups sort of manifest when you have a good idea of what a team ahead of you wants to do. And there's obviously a lot of ties for Mitchkoff to Washington, who picks at eight, uh, given their success, obviously, with Alexander Ovechkin. But beyond him, you know, they've had a lot of other great Russian players, uh, you, know, you know, play for them over the years, including Evgeny Kuznetsov, Alexander Semin, you know, Dmitry Orlov, players like that. So uh, 
I wouldn't be shocked to see Mitchkoff go there. And so that's where I think if you're the wings, you're almost looking at that six, seven range saying if one of those two teams isn't interested in, in, in taking him there or uh, maybe didn't have him highest on the list, could you make a compelling offer to move up? And I think you have to consider it, albeit Mishkoff is under contract for three years in the KHL. And so it might be a little while before he comes over. But as you see with Kirill Kaprizov in Minnesota, he's been dynamic uh, since he's been able to come over. And I think if you're Detroit, that's a gamble you're willing to take when kind of the number one thing you're missing is that high-end elite talent. We all know how unlikely it is to uh, to trade up. And as you mentioned, there's a, you know, Danny Breer might just ruin everyone's party. Uh, so let's say the Red Wings are drafting ninth um, and, and let's operate within a reasonable range of outcomes. So we won't predict that Will Smith will fall to nine. Do you have kind of a preferred list forming in your head as to who you would like the Red Wings to take? Um, because personally, for me, this is the most wide open it's been in terms of uh, players I'm very, very comfortable with the Red Wings uh, uh, selecting at ninth overall, which might be a function of you know being the ninth pick instead of the fourth or the sixth. But I really do think there's a lot of good talent in different ways there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a there's a handful of guys that I think are in contention to be there at nine. If you set aside those those top five guys already that we we just talked about uh, being Bedard, Fantilli, Mitchkoff, Carlson, uh, and Will Smith. I think you have a handful of contenders there at nine. Uh, I think if you're Detroit, you know you look at the two biggest needs for the team. It's it's going to be right shot defenseman and it's going to be forward, uh, and, and really an elite sort of play driving high skill forward uh, is is kind of what the Wings are missing. And with forwards, I tend to have a positional bias towards centers because. Functionally, you can always take the center and move them out to wing. You can't really move the wing into the center slot. And so, you know, it's it's kind of nice to have that center player. And then, you know, historically speaking, coming up through juniors and, and kind of the lower ranks, the better players tend to get placed at center. And so there's generally the pedigree of them being a better player there. So with that in mind, I think the the crop of picks that I'm interested in, you know, Dalibor Dvorsky uh, out of Sweden. He's a guy that had a lot of hype coming into the year. Didn't necessarily have as good of a year as you would have hoped, but has sort of found, you know, turned the corner in terms of where analysts have him going. I think he could go as high as six. He could go, you know, as low as 17 when the wings are picking there. Uh, But he's a guy that I think would be very interesting, already playing a pro game. It's just, can he put it all together at the next level? Oliver Moore, a lot of people refer to him as a Dylan Larkin clone, best skater in the draft, fastest player in the draft. Uh, you know, he he would be absolutely dynamic, you know, at that center spot. So I think he's another guy that you, you absolutely have to consider. And then after that, I think the picks get a little bit more interesting. Nate Danielson is a, is a center that maybe doesn't have as much flash as some of the other guys that we just talked about, but played on a very, very bad hockey team in the WHL this year. Still was quite successful. Um, you know, points will probably follow him when he has a little bit more talent around him. But he's a guy that certainly reminds you of a steady, uh, you know, second-line center with potential upside to be a little bit more. And then if any of your wingers drop, you know, Ryan Leonard's kind of a big power, power forward winger on the right side that could be intriguing if he ends up slipping down to nine. I'm not sure that he will. Uh, and so, you know, those are the guys that I really like up front. And then obviously on defense, I think there's three contenders you have to consider. Uh, one being David Reinbacher, 
uh, who's been, had kind of a almost meteoric rise. It was going a guy that was on nobody's radar at the beginning of the year and now is all of a sudden being mocked in the top 15 a lot. Then you've got uh, uh, Axel Sandy and Pelica out of Sweden, who I think is – uh, got probably the highest offensive upside of any defenseman in this draft. Uh, him and Tom Willander were a dynamic pair uh, for Sweden. And so they're, they're two guys that I think are very interesting. And then lastly, Dmitry uh, Simashev, I think is a very interesting defenseman coming out of Russia. Again, you know, if there's that whole Russian factor about whether or not they're going to be able to come over and when, I think that's certainly there. But, you know, you look at guys like elite prospects have Simashev as the best defenseman in this draft. And, and I think there's a lot of potential to him there. So that's kind of my outline of who I'm most interested in at that spot. What would you think about going defense then forward? Uh, it's an idea where on paper, I, it, it like you initially say it out loud and I'm like, no, this team is one of the worst five on five offensive teams uh, last season. Scoring has been a problem for a long time. There's no high end uh, superstar talent or anything well, something's close to that, but nothing really uh, uh, bordering on superstar in terms of Detroit's offense. You need to take a swing. Uh, is it delusional to think you can get that talent at nine? And is it uh, a no-go to take a defenseman at nine before you know going forward at 17 or, or moving up from there? I, I don't think it's delusional at all to think that you could get a high-caliber player at nine. I think the important thing to remember is not to get you know too... Uh, let's say short sighted in, in this problem solving. So, you know, for example, uh, whoever you draft at nine is not on the roster next year. Let's just be clear there. Like that player that you're getting, they're, they're not going to be on the team next year. They're not fixing your scoring issues next season. They're probably not fixing your scoring issues the season after it really just comes down to, you know, whether or not they're actually going to be ready. But I think you're you're almost picking somebody who's going to be there in, in two to three seasons, not necessarily somebody who's going to be available right away. That being said, there's there's been a lot of successful uh, players taken at nine. You know, go back to 2021, Dylan Genther was arguably the best goal scorer in the draft. He goes at nine to uh, Arizona. Marco Rossi, uh, who hasn't necessarily had the career uh, turn out the way that a lot of people thought it would, largely due to having issues uh, recovering from COVID, but he went ninth overall. Trevor Zegris, you know, everybody's favorite enemy in uh, Anaheim. He's a ninth overall player. Uh, so there are guys that you're going to be able to get at nine, uh, historically speaking, that can develop into those top end talents. Um, and so I think it's there. But that being said, if you look at the way this draft is tilted, it is very heavy towards the forwards. Um you know, you could argue that of the top 20 prospects, 17 are forwards at a minimum, maybe 18, uh, depending on your views of some of the defensemen. So it, it's going to be very forward heavy. And if if in your mind, you've got a group of forwards that are kind of relatively in the same tier, then maybe it does behoove you to take that defenseman first to ensure you're getting one of the better defensemen, um, as opposed to waiting until 17 and potentially not. Uh, now, if you have certain forwards that are well ahead of the others and those guys are available at nine, you absolutely go in that route. But it's almost a little bit of playing what you think the teams around you are going to do while also recognizing that there's a scarcity of quality defensemen, or at least maybe known commodity defensemen uh, in this draft. And and so I wouldn't shock me 
to see them take a swing on, on a defenseman at nine just to ensure they get one of the top three guys or top four guys. Are there any players where they're consistently ranked in the top 15 or 20 um, and based on you know projections or mocks could go to Detroit where you're really iffy on whether they're the real deal and, and they're worth taking there? I think the guy that maybe gives me the biggest pause at nine at least is, is Zach Benson. Uh, he is obviously one of the most talented offensive players in this draft. Very high compete guy. You know, very good on the forecheck. Um, but, you know, there's sort of this historical precedent with guys that are on the smaller side. So Benson is, is five foot nine, 160 pounds, 165 pounds without elite speed, without that great separation speed. And for those types of players, it, it's generally hard for them to, to translate everything that they've got at lower levels to those higher levels. That's not to say Benson can't do it um, because he's arguably one of the most talented versions of that. Uh, but he doesn't have that elite separation speed that I think is going to be necessary at the next level for him to continue to be as effective offensively as he has been in juniors. The other thing about Benson that does give me a little bit of pause is he's certainly a very um, incredible player to watch when you, when you see him in a lot of different settings, but he was also on one of the most loaded, you know, WHL teams that Winnipeg ice have seen in a while. I mean, he's playing with, you know, Matt Savoy and a handful of other, top prospects. I mean, that Winnipeg ice team, I think, lost a handful of games this year. They were uh, absolutely dynamic. So you can almost introduce in the back of your mind how much responsibility does Zach Benson get for driving that versus being a part of it. And then the other thing you have to come down to is Benson, um, again, is going to be a winger at the next level, not that center position. So he's the guy that maybe gives me the most pause at nine. And then I think after... You know, you get past Benson at nine, I think, which, and I, I should be totally clear, he's a tremendous pick for me at at 17. The other guy that uh, sort of falls under that similar mold is Gabriel Perot, um, you know, from the USNTDP. He's a guy who played on a line, uh, you know, with uh, Ryan Leonard and uh, Will Smith, if I'm remembering that line correctly. And that line is just absolutely dominant. Uh, they were one of the most prolific scoring lines in the program history. You know, Perot sets a, a scoring record uh, for the program. But when you sort of take him in isolation, one of the questions that's going to come out of this draft is who was really driving that line? Was it Will Smith? Was it Ryan Leonard? Was it, you know, Gabe Perot? Was it a combination of all three? What's sort of the allocation there? And when I sort of step back, I see the power forward aspects of Ryan Leonard. I see, obviously, the insane IQ and skill level from from Will Smith. With Perot, he's a highly intelligent player, but I don't necessarily see as many of the other tools that would make him as successful at the next level. So he's a guy that, I, you know, maybe you just have a little bit more pause on um, using one of your top two picks on him. Okay, and, and this question is probably unfair, so I'll definitely ask it of you. Do you have, like, what would be your ideal outcome? Again, working within reality and, and what's you know, at least somewhat probable. What's your ideal outcome? Assuming Red Wings make picks nine and 17 and don't make trades, what two players would you love to walk away with most? 
Yeah, I mean, based on the way that the mocks are starting to go, if you could walk away with Dvorsky at nine and Oliver Moore at 17, um, and I'm, I'm using Moore at 17, even though I'm talking about him potentially at nine, because, uh, you know, in Corey Pronman's mock, he's going around that range. And Pronman last year was one of the more informed mocks, uh, particularly getting Shane Wright at four correct. And so, if Moore does in fact slip all the way down to 17 and you can walk away with, you know, potentially two top six centers in Dvorsky and Moore, and now you're talking about center depth of Larkin, Casper, Dvorsky, and Moore uh, with the ability to flex any of those guys out to the wing as needed, I think you're in a really, really dynamite spot moving forward um, because now you, you have a lot more positional flexibility. You've got uh, not all of your eggs in sort of one basket in terms of center development down the middle. Um, and you've got the opportunity to use potentially one of those pieces down the road in a trade to acquire other gaps in your, uh, in your roster. So to me, that's almost a, a tremendous, almost a perfect outcome. If you're making picks nine and 17, the other really big win scenario I see is if Mitchkoff slips to seven and you find a way to trade up without, you know, throwing the whole kitchen sink uh, and, and you nab him. I think you're arguably getting the second most talented player in this draft. And when he does come over, it's going to be an immediate game changer for you. All right, folks. And if you love uh, looking at draft rankings, uh, obviously, there's a million different resources and outlets who offer that. Uh, Prashanth has actually built a really fantastic uh, tool that's free uh, for you to use uh, called uh, DraftStock. Uh, we'll link to the app in the uh, description of this episode, and you can go pl- player by player, look at average draft rankings, and see how that player has been um, uh, ranked by different models uh, over time, so you can see how they've progressed. For example, Dalibor Dvorsky started around the 4-5 range, had a little bit of a dip, but you can see where uh, after the U18s, he climbed uh, rapidly again into the uh, Red Wings range, so to speak. So uh, the Draft Stock app is really, really excellent to use if you're uh, a draft junkie like us. And um, Prashant, thank you for creating such a, an awesome tool. Appreciate it. You know, it's a, this was always one of my favorite things to consider is kind of the trajectory of players over the course of a season and, and how certain um, milestone events, if you will, impact rankings. So obviously, you know, if you look at the rankings, you see a lot of rankings clustered around the January time, generally following the World Juniors. You see a lot of rankings clustered around the beginning of June following the, uh, you know, the, the U18. So it's it's kind of interesting just to see how rankings evolve over time. And, and that was really the whole goal of it. And, and you can sort of see, you know, maybe when I look back on this, if I can keep doing this for the next couple of years, you can start to see, you know, how did high how did late risers perform versus guys that started to fall from the beginning of the year and you can start to get a sense of which outlets maybe are doing the best job of tracking the trajectory of players okay let's uh, jump over to the red wings now um there's a lot of talk from us particularly uh, about what the red wings are going to do to get better for next year again it really does seem like uh, this is close to the end of the road of wallowing near the bottom of the league, and you'd hope that they start to make moves forward, and that is all with no rear view at all. Should they have done X, Y, and Z last offseason? Should they have drafted this player instead of that player? I'm not considering any of that when I say, you know, I would like the Red Wings to kind of make a move and be a little bit more serious as a wildcard contender. 
And so obviously folks are looking to free agency. Um, our good friend Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit put out uh, a piece six hours ago. Uh, he took on the, the very unforgiving task of looking at what the free agency pool has to offer, and he specifically looked at right-shot defensemen. So, you know, not just right-shot D, uh, players overall. What would you like to see, you know, Steve Eisman and the Red Wings do come free agency, um, and does this thin class scare you a little bit? This is a spoiler, man. You know, now I don't have to finish writing uh, for you anymore. So that, that that actually takes me off the hook there. I appreciate that. You know, I was only halfway through the first article. So now I, now I just don't even have to worry about it. No. Yeah, just let your son write the rest. <laughs> well, then you're just going to get the word Elmo typed, you know, 2,500 times, which I mean, for some people that may be fine. But nevertheless, uh, this free agency class, a lot has been said about it in terms of whether or not it's a quality class. I, I personally think there are pieces here. There are players here that, you know, if you're looking to advance this roster, um, and, and that is going to be the case, you know, anybody who wants to talk about tanking, you're not tanking. All right. You spent $30 million last year. Steve Eisman is not going to go two steps forward, three steps back. Um, yes, he sold a lot at the deadline, but this is a team that I think he's going to very much look to add to, um, to try and can, you know, get a little bit closer. Uh, to, to making the playoffs as some of the prospects develop. So for me, I think what you need to do is first, you've got to replace the scoring you lost. So you traded away Tyler Bertuzzi, you traded away Jacob Vrana. Neither of those guys obviously factored in a lot last year due to injury and Vrana being in the uh, player's assistance program. That being said, you're going to have to find a way to create some goals. The Wings were awful at creating quality chances. They were awful at finishing those quality chances. Outside of Dylan Larkin, you need a big step forward from Lucas Raymond. Uh, you need big steps forward from, you know, Michael Rasmussen and sort of continuing his strong play. But I do think there's opportunities to add um, either via free agency or the trade market. Obviously, Alex DeBrinkett's going to get tossed around there a lot. For me, I'm looking at one of the two restricted free agents in New Jersey. They're going to have Timo Meyer and Jesper Bratt both needing new contracts. It would not surprise me to see the rights to one of those players dealt. I don't think New Jersey would, um, you know, go any other way. But I, I wouldn't be shocked to see the rights to one of those guys dealt. And if so, both those guys are, are kind of high-end players that the Wings would definitely benefit from. Timo Meyer, in particular, being a 40-goal scorer, uh, I think is the kind of guy that you throw a lot of money at. He's 26, and and he can be a, fa- a fixture for you for the next seven, eight years, uh, no problem at all. And then defensively, you know, I think Max laid out a lot of really good options. Uh, I think Damon Severson's obviously the prize. He's had a really tremendous year in New Jersey um, and, and has really blossomed being able to play, you know, sort of behind uh, some of the other guys there like Dougie Hamilton. And so I think you could bring him in and he very much replaces what you lost in Philip Peronic. That being said, he's probably going to get a deal about six years, six million. You have to decide if that's too expensive for you. I personally think it's a deal that's within the realm of what the wings should be making. Uh, you've got a lot of cap space. You want to turn the corner. It's time to start getting some guys locked in. And in particular, with some of these quality players, we know the NHL is sort of on the cusp of having the cap go up significantly. You know, based on the hockey-related revenue, the cap should be about $94 million and it's it's not there. 
And so if you start to get some of these quality players locked up for term, but on these deals that maybe seem steep now, they may all of a sudden seem not that bad when the cap jumps six, seven, eight million, uh, which is eventually going to happen once this escrow is all paid off. So I, I'm not a, I'm not afraid to throw the money this offseason because you want to do that before the prices start going up. Um, which is going to eventually happen in the next two to three years. So for me, those are the two guys that I'm looking at. I throw a lot of money that way. And then again, after that, you sort of you sort of let the development go from there. Advocating to spend in free agency. Soon enough, Prashanth, you're going to be advocating to take a goalie with a first-round pick. Pigs are flying, hell's frozen over. But uh, no, definitely the, the circumstances around the cap and that kind of lagging uh, effect of it rising, this is that that special moment. So... Uh, completely agree. Uh, Prashanth, um, one more thing before we go. Uh, Wings Money on the Board is an initiative that we started together to raise money for the Jamie Daniels Foundation and their fight against substance use disorder. Um, earlier this year, uh, in the spring, um, you made an extremely de- uh, generous donation, which we tacked just a little bit onto uh, to, for a total of $15,000 uh, to the, the foundation. Our goal is fifty. For the season, and you know the the campaign is still running through the draft and free agency. So, um, a, a couple words here about uh, uh, we're hoping to rally some more support around the draft for folks to either pledge retroactively, uh, just donate through justgiving.com/slash wings money on the board. Uh, what are your thoughts on on trying to achieve this fifty thousand dollar target? I think it's doable. You know, we've we've done a lot in the last couple of years, and we're getting closer and closer to reaching that mark. I'd love to see us hit it. I think you just step back and you take a look at the work that the foundation has done, you know, in the Metro Detroit area and and really across the state of Michigan with some of their partnerships with the college campuses. And it's, it's the kind of work that needs to be done that no one's really talking about. You know, when you, when you think about how do you practically make change happen, That's not always considered in medicine. That's not always considered in a lot of these scenarios, but that's what the Jamie Daniels Foundation is doing. They're making the resources available. They're making, you know, they're they're making them more accessible. They're making it easier for people to find them. They're they're working to kind of demystify the stigma around all of this. All those steps that you need to take that really enhance adoption of the right measures. And so it's something that I think we've all been passionate about for the last few years. And I'd love to see us reach that. So if you've got a pledge, you know, you can make a pledge that, Hey, you'll put in X number of, you know, dollars if the wings take this player or we'll, you know, we'll do a $50 thing if the wings trade up for Mitchkov or something like that. You know, we, we can still get creative with ways here, but you guys can too. And so if there's pledges or free agents you want to see, don't hesitate to make those pledges, tag us in them. We'll amplify them. And, uh, you know, hey, maybe we can hit that $50,000 mark. And if you haven't made your donation yet based on your mark and or based on your pledge from earlier in the season, feel free to reach out if you don't remember what it is. You know, I've sort of been slammed in trying to get to everybody, and as, as has Ryan. But we will definitely continue reaching out to folks, um, you know, to, to ensure that we get as much in for the foundation as possible. And just to to sweeten the pot a little bit, the, um, the Winged Wheel podcast is – uh, putting up twenty five hundred bucks uh, to match the first twenty five hundred dollars in donations that come through between now 
uh, in the end of July. So uh, we would love to kind of help this along. So uh, the link will be in the description. Uh, we can't thank you all enough for the amazing work that you've done for this uh, campaign already. Uh, Ken Daniels passes along his, his thanks as well, um, as well as Lisa Daniels Goldman. So uh, thank you all so much. Prashanth, Thanks for jumping on the show today. Uh, I believe we are uh, going to try to make a mock draft plan soon. So uh, until then. Sounds like a plan. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Prashanth Iyer. Uh, plenty more to come. And of course, we're going to be running a mock draft soon, which we're hoping to have his, uh, his big brain in to offset Evan drafting Anton Lundell three more times. Who else was it? What defenseman was it that you kept drafting? Didn't I d- draft Seth Jarvis a couple times too? Seth Jarvis, maybe Jamie Drysdale it as was well. Bowen Byram, but I think that was Max. Your affliction has spread, Evan. Uh, okay, we're going to jump into some quick Red Wings news before we look across the NHL. Uh, Ansar Khan of M Live uh, reported today that the Red Wings are interested in re-signing forwards Pew Suter and Alex Chase on for their own depth and uh, are expected to not offer contracts to Adam Ernie. Robert Hag, Jordan Osterley, Mark uh, Pesic, and uh, either Nedeljkovic or Helberg in net as well. Um, they're not expected to qualify Gustav Lindstrom because he's not a pending UFA. He's a pending RFA with Arbrights, I believe. So they just wouldn't qualify him and thus he'd be released. Uh, there have been rumors of Lindstrom looking at um, potential locations in Europe as well. So that all kind of tracks. So none of this is a, is a surprise. Like these are all the kind of depth moves that happen in an organization looking to get better. Um, I know both goalies were looking to make a case. Neither really did a lot to stand out last season. Maybe you could argue Osterley could find room, but with the amount of Red Wings talent coming up through the pipeline, it, it all tracks. So we'll get to that more down the road. But um, in terms of depth for Suter, they're looking to Suter, sign Suter short-term and to chase on uh, chase onto a two-way contract. To me, that's just sensible. There's no guarantee it gets done, but Suter's done fine in his role, especially on the PK and and, in his own zone. I think he's been effective as long as he comes in cheap. um, I imagine he's going to try to test the market to try to get, you know, uh, a longer contract or maybe even a little bit of a raise. Uh, But he has a good spot in Detroit, and and I think he's been effective. Yeah, uh, I mean, I like him as a depth option. He's, He's versatile. Um, he's again, 200 foot player, which you like, we've, we've seen him get on offensive heaters. So that's not a part of his game. That's completely devoid, which has been a theme of the Red Wings bottom six for a long time. So having someone like him in there is uh, not a bad thing. And yeah, it's good to see Eisenman's not just throwing term at these guys for the sake of keeping them. Cause as much as I like Suter, you can very easily replace Suter. Yeah. You have a guy you like, you know, him, you know, he's effective. Yeah. You try and keep him. But if he prices himself out of town, you go get another guy like him. That's that's just smart business. Again, you don't the the biggest change from the Holland Eisenman regime over everything else is just Stevie has no loyalty to his bottom six, and nor should he. No, Suter uh, got himself a three point two five million dollars uh, times two, so uh, overall six and a half million dollar contract over two years with the Red Wings when he originally came over and signed. Now, I don't think he's going to be getting a raise in Detroit. I could see a world where he could believe that due to his uh, ability to play center, still being 27 years old, he might be able to get a raise elsewhere. It's a thin free agency market, so someone could overpay. Um, he would come in in and around there, I'd imagine. 
it all just really depends on what he wants. But if he chooses to stay, I think that's a fit for the Red Wings. And I mean, Chase on, if they want to have the best power play in NHL history, you got to have Chase on based on how last season ended. Uh, I do like, it, you know, if it's actually to come to fruition, where it'd be a two-way deal. That doesn't affect his waiver eligibility, but just in terms of, you know, the dollars in, dollars out kind of thing. That makes a lot of sense because Chase on wouldn't be an everyday lineup player. That'd be your often 12th or 13th forward. Well, we got to fix the second power play unit somehow. I mean, we got to fix the first power play unit somehow. But like, unironically, yeah, if you're, the talent guys aren't going to do it alone. And these kinds of role players on the power play do exist on some teams. And especially when your power play gets stagnant, which Detroit's does at time, which is probably a, a, a personnel thing more than anything else. The chase ons of the world to clean up those those pucks in front, which is like the high danger, high, high high percentage pucks that come out into the crease. Then by all means, bring them in. Fine by me. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's jump into some league news here. Danny Briere, uh, GM of the uh, Philadelphia Flyers, new GM of the Philadelphia Flyers, made one hell of an impact. Three way trade between uh, L.A., Columbus, and Philly wherein Provorov went to the Blue Jackets, 30% of his salary was retained. Uh, L.A. got Kevin Connaughton uh, and Hayden Hodgson. And Philly got, they took on Cal Peterson's contract from L.A., so L.A. dumped uh, a salary cap so they can sign Gavrikov. And they they signed Gavrikov, the defenseman, to a two uh, by $5.875 million deal. Sean Walker, Helga Granz, the prospect, L.A.'s second-round pick in 2024, uh, Columbus's conditional second round pick in 2024 and a first round pick 22nd overall this year from LA. So the Provorov, Provorov salary 30% retained to Columbus and Philly ended up getting a first two seconds. They took on Cal Peterson, but also got Helga Granz. For me, you know, a situation where Provorov wasn't really working out in Philly for a couple seasons now, at least that is one hell of a haul, especially for a brand new GM. Yeah, I must have been watching a different Ivan Provorov the last couple of years to uh, to remember what, when, and why he was worth a first round pick. That is, that is a remarkable piece of work by Danny Breer, especially coming in as a new GM. I mean, I, I kept reading that trade like it was a complicated trade, and I know I'm tired a lot lately, but I was staring at that for five minutes, going, "I'm not understanding this. Why is?" <laughs> Philly getting the first round pick for Provorov. Like I thought there might've been like a second was being sent with Provorov to unload him. And the first was maybe to make up the gap. And then I saw, no, they're just receiving all of that for this scenario. And again, even what they got from LA was a phenomenal return for um, taking on Cal Peterson's contract. Just, just a tidy bit of business. Again, the, the exact thing we've been banging the table for Steve Eisman to do for Detroit in years weaponize your cap space and obviously time's running out on that now and not that he never did he did it with the Mark Stahl trade but oh man Danny Breer coming in with an absolute hell of a start I don't even think like Columbus was really looking for defense there and I don't know that Detroit could have offered something similar they made this move not the same way but they got their return with the Heronic deal in my mind yeah yeah no that's that's what they did there that wasn't there was no salary implications on that one Hence why there was no third team. But yeah, that was still a hell of a trade for Detroit. But yeah. So Philly, 
Philly leveraged Columbus really wanting defense and LA really wanting to dump cap. To re-sign Gavrikov. And now, and they could afford to do that, right? Because they they know they might move Carter Hart. And so they could actually use Cal Peterson for the next while. They'll be overpaying him. But hey, maybe he turns into something. And now, reportedly, they're working on a Carter Hart deal. Maybe it happens. Maybe it doesn't. There's conflicting reports. But he'll have a big market. Young oh, goalie yeah. with a lot of promise. Oh, yeah. 100%. But that was, uh, yeah, good on Danny Briere. And hey, if you're a Philly fan, this is like the first bit of good news you've had in yeah. a long time. Jumping over to uh, some more news, Montreal signed Cole Caulfield to an eight-year, $7.85 million per year contract. Uh, maximum term, they got in the talented goal scorer for as long as possible. Big number, but still under Nick Suzuki's number. And I saw conflicting views on this one, but in my mind, this is smart by Montreal, and especially with how much the cap's going to go up. Even if he is overpaid in terms of cap hit for the first little while, I view this as one that's going to age well for them. This is a guy who's probably going to routinely score 40 goals for under $8 million. This is a phenomenal contract for Montreal. Right? By all rights, it should. This is also great for Detroit. Because depending on your thoughts about Lucas Raymond, I don't know if he's getting paid more than Cole Caulfield. No, he should. Based on last season, if they're signing Lucas Raymond as of July 1 this year, He's coming in closer to Boldy's number, arguably lower, and Boldy got seven by seven. Yeah, so the the Raymond market uh, looks pretty team-friendly at the moment, thanks to these other contracts being signed. You have to imagine Raymond's going to want to play out the year before he signs anything. Yeah, which is fine. That's completely fine. And again, Raymond didn't have, he wasn't, didn't have a terrible season. No, he had a good season. But, you know, you'd have a hard time arguing against a comparable in your own division who's putting pucks in the net, which is valued higher than than most any other trait in the NHL. Yeah, he would come in, I think, not significantly. I'm not talking like $3 million under that, under an eight-year deal, but well under that. I, I don't see, I see Cole Caulfield at the top of what's even remotely reasonable range in my mind over an eight-year contract. Montreal, Kent Hughes is, uh, is putting together something good there i guess it benefits to have a former agent as your gm yeah they know the ins and outs but that was uh yeah i saw that contract come through and i thought even if not right now good for them and hey good for cole caulfield because apparently with the way his dollars are are structured and i won't get into the nitty-gritty of it he basically gets as much of his money as possible while the uh, maximum escrow that players have to pay into is low so he's front-loaded his dollars, so he gets paid out uh, a little bit more. So good for him. Over uh, to another Atlantic Division team, we have uh, Alex DeBrinket in the Ottawa Senators. Obviously, Ottawa acquired Alex DeBrinket in a trade um, from Chicago. It was a blockbuster deal. He has his $9 million qualifying offer coming up. And with the questions of ownership still not being settled and with Alex DeBrinket maybe not necessarily wanting to stay in Ottawa, it has been reported that they may be looking to trade him as the most likely option over anything else. So DeBrinket is a, you know, Detroit's his hometown team. He's a Michigan boy. He's been talked about by us, by many others, as a, uh, a potential homecoming. Solves a lot of problems for Detroit because he scores goals or at least should be scoring goals pretty well. Is there an opportunity here for Detroit to jump on this and what's the price? 
Is there an opportunity for Detroit to jump on this to answer that part first? I would think yes. I mean, just because he's a hometown boy doesn't mean that Detroit was put on that list of preferred destinations, but it's a very strong likelihood that they are. And what this could turn into if Ottawa decides to accommodate his you know, list of teams, which obviously they would like to do because if they can get him extended, it's a bigger return for Ottawa. So in theory, Ottawa will accommodate his list. This could be the perfect confluence of a player wanting to go to several markets. Most of them are going to be really good markets because they're really good teams that won't have the cap to take him on. And, you know, DeBrinket's going to look, I know his agent's going to kind of give him the reality of who's likely to actually be able to acquire him. But the Red Wings are a team on the up and up and he's a hometown boy and they have the most cap space of the teams that are likely to be interested to acquire him. Maybe not the most, but they're right there. Uh, they have enough that it's it's not going to be a hindrance if they want to overpay him a little bit. So I, I think this could be that rare confluence where of events where Detroit could actually land a top six, you know, 30 plus goal scorer in a trade that we've been talking about like it's a unicorn forever because these opportunities don't present themselves a ton. So the Red Wings should be all over this. The cost is, at first I thought would be really simple to work out because he was literally traded last summer and it was like pick seven and 39. So you would assume if Detroit wanted to do it, nine and say 41 probably gets it done. But the contract implications, the fact that he had a bit of a down year and you know, the uncertainty of the contract right now does not necessarily mean that's going to happen. Because if DeBrinket signs a team-friendly extension, that price goes up. If DeBrinket is pretty firm on his number or there's no uh, extension in place, that price goes down probably significantly. So there's a lot of moving parts here that are going to really make it hard to pin down uh, the value. So what I will say is if we're talking from Detroit here, I'd say nine and 41 is the starting point. And then whatever happens with the contract situation could sway it one way or the other from there. Does it have to be nine? Could it not be 17, 40 something? I, I know, I know Ottawa will look for that based on what they paid for him. But since they paid for him, he put up a 27 goal season in a full 82 games. Now, I understand they're going to say, you know, he's still a 40-goal scorer. He's just one season removed or two seasons removed from doing it. Obviously, Ottawa wasn't the – it was a big adjustment, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know. It just – I feel like Detroit, they might be able to leverage the $9 million qualifying offer. They might be able to leverage the fact that, you know, his salary is way higher than when they got him where you can get it done with 17 and, and some of their many other assets. The fact that it's intra-division also make, is going to make it more expensive, so I might be high in the sky here. But I'm just wondering if there isn't a way around this without getting rid of pick nine for the Red Wings. There's lots of ways around it. it. It's just obviously if you take number nine out of the equation, you have to up the value somewhere else. So I was going off nine and 41. If Detroit doesn't want to give up, Nine does 17 and Boston's first next year, get it done. Yeah, that's does, a good point. Yeah. Does 17 and uh, pick one or two of the Red Wings best prospects get it done? I would say yes, 
depending on what Ottawa thinks of those um, assets uh, from a value standpoint. But we don't know what Pierre Dorian's thinking because, man, he uh, he runs real hot and cold on these kinds of things. So who who knows what's actually going on? Evan, bump into him and let us know what's uh, going on. We'll get a good trade then because everything <laughs> will be back to normal. It's either summer. It's either hot Pierre summer or Pierre. What the hell are you doing? That's yeah. usually the response from Senators fans. I don't know. Like, am I crazy for really believing in DeBrinket as a, a like? I don't have a ton of concern for him as a future goal scorer. I don't know that necessarily day like first season on the Red Wings. Hypothetically speaking, he would be a forty goal guy. Like it, maybe there would be an adjustment period, but that's a goal scorer right there. Like that's that's his talent, and with the amount of offensive deficiency the Red Wings have. This is kind of one of those situations where unless Ottawa is asking for an astronomical price or let's say DeBrinckit won't come off, you know, 9.5 times 8 in an extension, you you really do have to go hard at this one. I wonder if a team like Chicago is interested in DeBrinckit as well. You know, (laughs) I'm not even being sarcastic. You're being serious. I'm being 100% serious. They literally just threw... Backed up the Brinks truck to Athanasiu. And, you know, he'd be going back to a familiar organization, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'll let the, that be determined by him. And he would get probably get to play with Connor Bedard. And he'd get to live in Chicago. So, you know, there are a lot of other teams that have interesting scenarios as well. Um, and there'll be a lot of teams that are highly interested and highly motivated to overpay a guy like Alex DeBrinckit. So this situation is very interesting. There's, a, like you guys said, a lot of moving parts. Um, <laughs> it's it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. Well, one of the big appeals to the Red Wings, too, he's 25. He won't be 26 until December. So even on an eight-year extension, like you're not paying him until he's 37. You're getting him to... 33, 34 years old if you if you max out terms. So that is not unreasonable at all, especially for a guy like DeBrinkett who does not rely on speed at all in his game. Like he's a, a shooter through and through. That's not a skill that you lose later in your career, right? So, you know, I was looking at his stats because uh, I was pulling up. I wanted to see exactly how old he was. And he has been really hot and cold in his career though. Like you, you look at his ups and downs. He went from 41 goals one year to 18 the next year. And then he was back up near 40 the next year. Like he, uh, that, that's kind of just who, how he is from what I'm gathering. How much of that is tied to like having an elite passer like Patrick Kane with him is my, my only concern there. Yeah. Hopefully not. Cause, um, Detroit if he comes to Detroit, uh, <laughs> Detroit's, you know, Larkin and Raymond and, and Perron and others are they're very good. Good to very good, if not great. Uh, but there's no superstar, no one comes close to the superstar level of puck distribution that he may have had. Well, in the yeah. Past. Who who in who on the Red Wings could you even classify as a playmaker? Like an actual NHL level like playmaker. Do they have one? I feel like Lucas Raymond could get there. They they have guys who can pass it. Like, don't get me wrong, Perron, Larkin, Raymond can can throw the puck around, but they're not in that, like, you know, uh, Nicholas Baxter Patrick Kane. They don't have that, That's like, Hall no, of Fame level. <laughs> no, I'm just using them because they're the most obvious examples of the type I'm talking about, but they don't really have anybody like that. So that would be the risk if you acquire a shooter is who the hell's going to get him the puck? One problem at a time, Brad. 
Just any goals right now we'll so, take. Theory. Trade 17 for Debrinket, ninth overall Gabe Pro. Problem solved. I have fixed the Red Wings. The most bullyable top line in NHL history. Philip Zadina finally realizes potential as a playmaker. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know what? We've never gone wrong hoping for the Philip Zadina elite playmaker resurgence. I'm feeling it one more time. <laughs> it hasn't worked for us before, <laughs> but maybe this We've year. We've tricked ourselves multiple seasons into thinking that this is the year. If it, we give Philip Zadina to Ottawa, how much does that bring the price down? Oh, the memes of the outrageous. Goes up. <laughs> yeah. Next year, TM, it's like following Ferrari in Formula One, but instead it's just believing in whatever Red Wings draft pick uh, or, or player from the past to finally become, you know, superstar level. I'm this still, is getting depressing. I still feel like that Yurko breakout's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? Timo Palkinen, all we have to do is bribe the rest of the NHL to just give him 17 feet of space. And oh boy. Yeah, him and Martin Furk. If everything breaks right for those two, they could be Alex Debrinkit. Uh, I'm going to move us to overtime because this is depressing. Uh, overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com if you want to go the extra. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel podcast. If you want to go the extra mile to support the show, it really does mean a lot to us. Uh, you get access to our overtime uh, bonus episodes, the Patreon exclusive Discord, as well as uh, entered into all of our giveaways. Uh, it's a segment where we take questions and comments from our uh, fans, listeners, biggest haters, etc., uh, and we will start with Tyler C with a really deep cut or uh, uh, deep question here. He asks, "What are the best names in this year's draft?" Angus McDonald is up there for sure. Angus McDonald's a good one. Um, some of those European names with North American first names really work out well. There's a kid uh, draft eligible in Kitchener, Hunter Brustevich. Except nice. there's like five unnecessary letters in there, so when you see it spelled out, it's uh, it would give Evan fits. Two W's back to back. <laughs> uh, you know, for some, for the longest time watching Will Lander, I just, uh, my brain didn't register his first name. So one time Matt, I was talking to Max and he was like, Tom Willander. Tom Willander? He's like, yeah, Tom Willander. I'm mad for not, his parents not naming him William. William Willander. Willie Wally. Anyways, uh, I really, uh, Daniil Butt. Boot, oh, but whatever one. you want to call it, I, I'm I'm sorry if that's not how it's pronounced, but it is a, a, a little bit funny. Uh, oh, there's um, a kid in the OHL. Uh, th- this one will be more specific to Red Wings and Bruins fans. Tristan Bertucci. That's great. He literally sounds like <laughs> the Wish.com Tyler Bertuzzi. <laughs> uh, Hockey Town Racing Academy says once free agency opens up, who's the first player Detroit signs? I'm gonna have a hot take here. I say Mo Sider. Doesn't count. That defeats the purpose of the question. Why? Why? I mean, I, if I'm Mo Sider, I'm I'm waiting till the end of my ELC to sign just to get max value. We'll see what happens there. First player, the Red Wings sign. If they're going to retain any of their their current free agents, I would think that they're they'd likely get done before July first. So I don't think that counts. I don't know. I, I just I really feel like it's going to be Gudis. Like mm-hmm. it just it just makes too much sense for what they're lacking. Well, when but, he wakes up, uh, it'll be yeah. about that time. But oh wow, yeah, what a, he's playing. Um, but I think Gudis the, after these playoffs is going to have a lot of suitors, so that might price him out of Detroit. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's, Scott Mayfield. I think he's priced out of Detroit too. You, you know, we keep saying that term term wise term. I don't think yeah. Detroit cares about the cap hit, but I could. 
These are guys on the wrong side of 30 who are probably looking at three to five year contracts, which is risky. So if you can get them on the three end of that, yeah, I could see the Reddings being very interested. But given that Gudis, and I think Max even pointed this out in his article, the fact that Gudis is older probably actually plays in the Red Wings' favor. Yeah. Uh, Dan DeVries says, uh, assuming this is possibly one of the last years the Wings can leverage their cap space to this high of a degree, would it be worth it to take on Matt Murray's contract and Toronto's first in exchange for one of our second round picks, or do you guys see better ways to use this cap space? I would love that deal, actually. Yeah, that's about, that's the angle they should be taking. Um, There's going to be opportunities for teams looking to dump cap. Matt Murray is at the forefront of that. I was reading about another guy who is a prime candidate for that today too. And I just, Oh, um, Josh Bailey. Oh yeah. He's got one year left at a pretty decent cap hit and the Islanders desperately need cap space. So, and let's be honest, we've seen the Red Wings offense. Josh Bailey's washed, but he's still an improvement on probably half that forward group. So, <laughs> oh, so we still have that tagline. Hey, eh? this player's washed on his team, but Hey, on the Red Wings, he's easily he's a the superstar. Fourth, yeah. Fourth yeah. best forward. Yeah, there's a reason the Islanders make the playoffs and we don't, despite them also being kind of bad. No, I, I refuse to call the Islanders bad. They've been such a well-run team for so long in terms of their actual on-ice results, so I can't. Yeah, I was going to say, you needed to specify that last part there. <laughs> hey, go to their cap-friendly page and uh, look. It's for We don't know why, but it works. For a long yeah. time, there was that myth of like, we can't, we can't understand why bees can fly, but they do. I don't know if that was ever real, but it has that same feel. Um, and the last one here, a little bit of a fun one from Babe Landiscox says, what are some hockey skills you could confidently teach in a winged wheel podcast boot camp, like drills and skills? And are there any intangibles or hockey IQ things to work on at this camp too? And if so, how, and what are they? What an outrageous idea. So it's funny. That would be a shit show. Us running a hockey camp. Yes. Oh my God. It would be me and you just heckling Brad. I, uh, I was a hockey instructor. Oh yeah. You're going to heckle me on the ice. Brad will yeah. literally Listen, Ryan, there up. are not many, there are not many, uh, formats, uh, in this world where I can get in the same room as you and I turn into the a-hole who never shuts up and stops chirping oh, like you do I with forgot, me. I forgot that you're yappy on the ice. But, uh, no. So yeah, you, you absolutely would not enjoy <laughs> being on the ice with me in a hostile way, but, uh, no. So it's funny that this question gets brought up cause I was talking to someone about this a while ago. Um, I never want to be a coach because I think I'd actually honestly be terrible at it. I, I could be okay with like X's and O's in the room. And I actually think I could be, you know, pretty effective at drawing up a breakout, a power play, a penalty kill, but at a development age. I don't know how to teach someone to shoot or skate or stick. And I'm like, cause all of that stuff, like is just so ingrained in your like brain that you're just, you just do it and you don't really know how to explain it. I've got a really good snapshot. I could not teach anybody how to take a snapshot if my life depended on it. Cause it's just like, well, this is how I do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what goes into that? I don't know. Drag, release, shoot. What do you want me to tell you? Like I, I'd be terrible at it. Well, you're lucky you're sitting with someone who was a hockey instructor at one point in their life. So we're covered. There we go. Are you any good? Yeah. I could teach children how to do things. Why'd you stop? I was done dealing with children. <laughs> <laughs> I still am. <laughs> no, the trick is with kids, you either got to go super young, like Mika's age or younger. Cause at that point you're just teaching them to stand up, move around, stick yeah. in a little bit. Anybody can do that. But then once they get past that, now you're actually teaching them how to 
do things and it's really hard. But once they get older, they know how to do all the things. And now you're just like refining it. And that's not super difficult. Yeah, they'll like... 8 to 11s were the worst because that's when they started to develop attitudes and oh, yeah, like, yeah. I will literally beat you up right now. <laughs> yeah. I'll beat six of you up right now Yeah, at the same time. Uh, Evan, on several occasions, got very close to answering that age-old hypothetical. How many 10-year-olds could you take out? <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> uh, I do skating. Skating is the one thing that I, I could do exceptionally well at all ages and um, for defense, like gap control and, and how to read the body. And the moment you get to any shooting drill, I would leave the ice. And probably find an, <laughs> and probably find an attorney because we'd have to defend Evan in court for <laughs> the no. nine ten year olds that were left. Ryan, I've I've rethought this all. I can be nice to you for a couple hours on the ice. What we'll do is exactly what you're basically saying here. But when it gets to the Evan part, we leave. Bust out the video. We'll split the YouTube ad revenue for oh, whatever that's not he bad. does. Yeah, and Listen, this hockey kids. camp will make more money than any other hockey camp, and oh, it'll have yeah. nothing to do with paying Listen, fees to kids. get in. <laughs> the only shot that exists in hockey is the slap shot, and you go bar down every single time. Yeah. What if my teammate standing in front? Bar I down. said what I said. <laughs> <laughs> there are no exceptions to this rule. All right, folks, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, we're going to be back with you on Sunday. Uh, to all of our listeners, thank you so, so much. And to all of our patrons, uh, we owe it all to you. So uh, uh, to all of our name-level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, for Raymond's Missing Tooth, We Are Geelong, the greatest team of all, Glenn Brabham, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Cider for Norris, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landiscog, Brad Alotathai Crisco, Carl Brutina Nanaluski, Chris P, Season High Five, Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Dad, Please Come Home, It's Been Five Years, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Evan, Stop Playing With That, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, <laughs> Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Lion Ryan, Hannah, Got him. Marcus, Matt McKay, Matthew Gross, who's a brand new name level uh, supporter, Matthew, Welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Michael Edland, R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, That's What I Appreciate's About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Number 1 Red Guys fan, A.A. Ron, Adam Rose, Brad Hot Stuff Coming Through Crisco, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, C.J. Wilkinson, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor Layton and Corey Prita, Darren Fick, Evans Lost Rangefinder, Frank Stanley, Ferk bombing a lemon, all my homies use button a lemon. Gene Sullivan, Grand Rapids hockey guy, Griffey boy, instructions on clear, cheese bag no longer fresh. James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, JM Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, McBarlow, who's a brand new name level sporter. McBarlow, thank you so much for your support. Melissa Erickson, Ophelia, Pavel Duck Soup, again, another name level supporter. Welcome, Pavel Duck Soup. Steven, Tatarsas, The Hodag, and The Hat123. Oh, also your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. We'll talk to you Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at wingedwheelpod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.